This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The title of our message today is The Pathway of the New Covenant, and we certainly want to welcome our online listeners. We have another family uh, doing house church in Pakistan that is joining us this morning. We welcome you. I just want you to know that I am seriously praying about the invite to come and uh, speak with your people, but that has to be obviously God's design. So we love you so very much, each and every one of you that are listening. And this topic today of uh, discussing the new covenant is really a part of the message of brokenness. In fact, I believe it is what's, you see this picture at the end of that pathway, I do believe, is the new covenant. This is where brokenness is supposed to take us, to fully embracing the new covenant. Just like our flesh fully embraces the old covenant. Do you realize that your flesh loves the law? It loves rules. It loves routine. Your flesh hates spontaneity unless you're using being spontaneous as an act of control. But see, your flesh loves the law. It likes to say, I need to have my devotions in the morning in order to feel closer to God or Christ. It says that you can't talk like that, or you can't walk like that, or you can't sing like that, or you can't raise your hands like that, or you can't... It has all these rules to restrict you from intimacy. The new covenant is not like that. The new covenant is you are being released, and the law of the spirit of life is very, very different than the law of sin and death, which our flesh loves. Romans 7, 5 says it very clearly. It says, for the law arouses, can someone please finish that verse for us? Sinful passions. Do you see, every time you use a law on yourself, a rule, a self-guideline on yourself, you're literally arousing the flesh. That's why the big joke about wet paint do not touch. Well, those who have put that sign out there, wet paint do not touch, always come back from their coffee break and see fingerprints on the wet paint. So if you get up in the morning and you say, you know, I haven't had my devotion, so I, uh, this is not going to be a really good day. You are turkeyized. You are the good day of the Lord. Your very life in Christ is your good day. No matter what that day brings to you. That's the only way I know of to consider it all joy, my brethren, when you endure various trials. And I know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So to put that formula together, man, we have to understand something about the new covenant that most don't. 
we got to quit beating ourselves and each other over these little laws because it brings destruction. It wears you out. It makes you feel guilty. The disciples of Jesus were fervent in their love relationship with Jesus. I am absolutely convinced of that as I have read not only the, the uh, Gospels, but reading history, books, and articles about these men. They say that there was well over 2,000 books written at the time of Christ describing the relationship between Jesus and these people following him and Jesus and political leaders and Jesus in the church, the synagogue. I mean, he was gaining a lot of attention, okay? The writers of the time were really interested in watching these guys. And there are endless reports that, they, that the disciples and Jesus had a very, very strong love life with each other. To us, we say, duh. But it, I'm, I'm afraid we can't stop there. So even though they had, not, they had forsaken all for him, they gave up their jobs, their occupation. Peter, for example, was a very, very successful fisherman. They recently, well, not real recent, 10 years ago, they found out where he lived and, and through the digging up and found the, the actual... Uh, foundation of his home and whatever it was a mansion to say the least beyond a mansion in those days he was a very very successful fisherman he probably had many many fleets and I think that's also why it was he it was very very tough on him to leave his occupation and why he went back to that occupation after this whole thing about betrayal took place when Peter finally had to realize the very thing he was judging others with, he was the one that was suffering that kind of sin. Betrayal. So he goes back to his fishing. These guys were very intimately connected to Jesus, but at the same time, they believed in him, loved him, obeyed him, and until they understood the pathway of the new covenant, they would soon learn that their performance would be proof of their ways of betrayal. Performers betray people. Do you understand that? If you are a perfectionist and you're a performer, you're going to betray. They go together. They're hand in hand. The ones who betrayed Jesus Christ the most were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those scribes, those writers. You see, the betrayers are the ones who have all the standards that they are keeping on the people. Yet they themselves cannot live up to these standards. And that's what Jesus was very consistent at pointing out to the Pharisees and the Sadducees over and over and over again. You see, unless these disciples who had a very strong love life with Jesus truly understood the new covenant, they're not going to be set free in the love of Jesus Christ himself. If we could visit the first seven hours after Jesus' death and watch the disciples 
I think what we're going to find is there's probably one that stayed with the mission. I don't know how many for sure. I can tell you some stories of some, some that went and took a vacation, a very long one. Why did Jesus have to come back and walk the earth for 40 days? Duh! These guys were all taking vacations. They were saying, well, that was an interesting three and a half years. Not John the Beloved. John the Beloved stayed there side by side to the very end, took the responsibility of being the son for his mother and caring for Jesus' mother until she died. And uh, she traveled with him on all of his communique until he was imprisoned on the island, if you remember the story. She dies, is buried in one of the areas of the seven churches, can't remember which town it is, but he's the only story we know of that of the disciples that really hung in there. But Jesus understood that and coming back and walking the earth for 40 days and visiting the same cities that he, he preached in, he understood that. He wanted to say, I understand your doubt. I understand your confusion because you have the tendency to view me in earthly kingdom standards. I like donkeys. You wanted to put me on a horse. I don't care for gold that much. You wanted to hang gold around my neck. You, did, you see, they didn't understand exactly. When he talked about a born-again experience, they thought about, well, how can we crawl up in our mother's womb again? See, they didn't get it. Well, you can't get it until you embrace the new covenant. It's impossible. And that's why we have to talk about it. Here's our attitude of the week. Our theme for the week is people with pride typically walk a pathway that involves sights, sounds, and touch of what seems or screams out to them as reality. Like what I see, hear, and feel is what is true. You know, I don't care where you are on your own Richter scale of spirituality. I'm not going to use your scale. So I've had to learn this lesson the hard way. And I don't ever want to go back to the old measurement of maturity of Christianity again. Because every Christian is as dumb as sheep. That's Billy Graham, Steve Finney, a child that's just been saved. We are all the same. Two years ago with an interview with Barbara Walters, I heard something come out of Billy Graham's mouth that I could not believe I was hearing. You see, doubt and confusion can affect the strongest mind. Many of these strong minds go back to acting like babies, like Ronald Reagan in his final ten years. You see, we're frail people. I don't care how big and powerful you were. You are same. You are sameness. You are one. We are not better than the other bridal member. That's not how we function. We want to elevate people so we can worship them and respect them and honor them. And whatever we want to bring them down a little so we can be honored and respected. And that's what we do. 
Year after year after year. It's a bummer. Here's what humble people do. People of humility and brokenness walk a pathway that closely reveals the new covenant of Jesus Christ. That of the life that I now live, I live by the faith of Christ who lives in me. See, it's not my faith. The faith that has been given to me as a gift is Christ's faith. It's like peeling off a napkin or part of the fabric of Jesus Christ's identity and giving it to Steve Finney. When they took a napkin from Paul and took it to people and they got healed, that was the spiritual symbol of that miracle. And when Jesus gives us faith, it does come in a measurement. Some get a big chunk of clothing, others get little scraps for some reason. Whatever the reason Christ gives in that measurement is his business. Some people have such faith they can walk on water. Yes, there's stories beyond Jesus of people doing that. Some, some are able to touch someone and they're healed. Some are able to, you know, speak in different languages. Some are, whatever the miracle is, it's according to Jesus Christ. If it's not, it is according to the Old Covenant, which is where Satan lives and breathes. Satan is a god within the Old Covenant. He is bound by his flesh. He represents flesh. He is flesh. And he uses laws and legalism to bind people from them embracing the New Covenant of Jesus Christ. Revival is going to take repentance. Now I've seen a few revivals through my 50 plus years of being on the earth and Walt I'm sure you've seen a few waves of revivals and really no matter if you're doing a revival in a tiny little church or you're doing a revival like Billy Graham used to do from community to community and turned out to be millions of people that would gather around to be a part of this revival they all knew these teachers and preachers all knew you you can't have a revival without repentance well, same thing with the exchange life. New covenant living. Can't have it without repentance. Soul change takes revival. Revival stimulates a revolution. So someone explain to me from your perspective what a revolution is. comes from the word revolt. So, resisting changes, uprising. That's what a revolt is. So to have a revolution of the exchanged life, or not I, but Christ, or the new covenant, all terms used to describe the new covenant, you have to stand up, resist, the devil, so he may flee from you. But it says in James chapter 4, not just to do that, I always leave the primary part of the verse out on purpose to see what people catch it. What does it require of us to do first? James chapter 4, verse 12. It says what? Submit to God, 
revolt against the devil and he will flee. So we need a revolution. We are being asked to resist. We're asked to stand firm in our faith. Resist the devil and you don't have to beat him over the head with your sword. You simply draw the sword. Remember our latest short film, Jesus takes his sword out as it is described in the Holy Word. It is a fiery sword. This sword is not, it doesn't have any resemblance at all as shiny metal. It's shiny fire. And he takes that sword out and he draws that fiery sword. Do you think the enemy's going to stand around with his little dagger and take Jesus' fiery sword on? Are you kidding? I get goosebumps every time I watch the film and every time I even uh, talk about it is that that fiery sword is enough just to pull it out of your sheath. And that's the word of God, if I remember correctly. You add an S to the word of God and what do you have? Sword. It is our sword. You just you show it off a little bit. Just, just kind of hold it up. There's this one gal that's a popular uh, uh, teacher and she sleeps when she's having a rough day. That night she sleeps on her Bible. And she said that she's, her Bible is just tear-stained because she's got her, her Bible you know, under her face as she's sleeping. Isn't that weird? No. She takes it literal. I'm going to tell you a little story. And this story is uh, so true, it's uh, difficult for me to talk about. When I was in Colorado Springs, we had a little ministry over there called Release Ministries, and and on Tuesday nights we did small group you know it was, it was just basically pulling a large group of people together and I would throw out the topic and I would always grab some pain that was in the room that would be our topic for the night and we'd have a discussion pray over each other and so forth so we were doing group and I was uh, counseling a couple started out with her he got upset and she was the girlfriend of a very famous rock star, very demonic group. Um, they're probably still considered uh, the most uh, evil demonic rock group in history. And we were counseling this, this girlfriend and we didn't even know what the connection was, who her boyfriend was, nor did we care. But she was fed up. She came to the ministry for help. God transformed her life. And I was counseling a couple in my office and all of a sudden it was like someone took a vacuum cleaner and put it up to my mouth and sucked all the air out of my lungs. I couldn't breathe. And I'm like, and I'm counseling a couple. And I finally squeaked out, I, I, I have to dismiss myself. I got up and I walked out. And as I closed my door, the waiting room was right here to my right. My secretary is in the room straight in front of me and I just knew I had to get away somewhere and I came out of my office and this guy was sitting there on the on the couch and he started talking to me but his lips weren't moving and I was hearing everything he was saying and I still can't breathe 
So I finally get through the room and I get back to the Coke machine and I'm getting a, a drink and you know I'm like freaking out. And Judy says, what? What's wrong? What's wrong? I said, I don't know. So, you know, I come back, so I got to go back to you know, my clients, you know. And so I'm walking back, now he's on my left, and he speaks to me again. And I turned around and I answered him. He says, I need to, then his lips started moving. He says, I need to see you now. Well, I didn't fight it. I walked in the office, shut the door, said I got an emergency. We're going to have to close out our session. They left. He comes in and sits down. And he goes, do you know who I am? And I very sarcastically said, no, and I really don't care. I mean, this guy's playing this power trip. And he'd hold his hand up like that. And there was a pentagram on his hand. And he'd hold his hand up like that. And I could actually feel this oppression. So he rattles off a bunch of stuff. You will no longer work with my girlfriend, blah, 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 blah. God gave me the power and courage to speak directly to his life that God was calling him. I still didn't know who he was. He looked familiar, but I didn't know who he was. And it got, I just poured the word of God over him. And I said, you will be coming back here, and you need the help. Because there's evil in you. There's evil on you. And uh, he just kind of smirked, you know, and he says, I've told you, I've warned you. And he gets up and he leaves. So I called my guy down at the radio station. I said, okay, here's what he looks like. Here's what I saw and whatever. He, and I said, do a little research. Help me find out who this guy was. He says, I don't need to do research. I know who he is. So he told me he was. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. And this, is, this is a rock group that practices Satanism. So... Long story short, God touched his life. Just flat out touched his life. He comes to the group. I mean, seriously, he's just got a sweet tenderness to him and whatever. He comes to the group for, you know, his own help. Him and his girlfriend come. But something happened in night, and he like switched on me. And all of a sudden, <laughs> there's probably 20, 30 people in the group, and they just got up and laughed. Because the stuff he was saying to me, he was like doing that again right in this group setting. So I thought, oh man, maybe his transformation's fake or whatever. So they kind of peel out. He, he gets up. My Bible is in the back of the classroom. And he gets up and he starts coming after me. Not to beat on me, but just very forwardly comes at me. And I had this overwhelming feeling I had to get to my Bible. And so every time I move, he, he would move. So I realized, okay, I can, I can get to my Bible. I can get to my Bible. So I just kind of position myself and then slowly let him back me into the corner of this classroom. And I grabbed my Bible. You know, and it was closed. And I just, you know, was talking to him like this. And I noticed something. As soon as I opened the Bible, he stepped back about three feet. I stepped forward and started pointing things from the word, you know. The physical presence of the open Bible gave me space. So I understand what Beth Moore talks about when she says that she's got to sleep on the word of God or she needs to cling to the Bible 
you know, when she's feeling oppressed or, or whatever. There is, the Bible is not to be used as your salvation. It is filled with the power of God. And it is certainly explaining your salvation and the power that comes with your salvation. And the enemy does not like the physical sword being pointed at him. Please keep that in mind. There are millions of stories like the one I just told you from people all over the world. A revival requires brokenness. That's kind of what we've been talking about. And then brokenness requires repentance. Hopefully we have embraced that piece when it comes to the topic of brokenness. Repentance causes the revolution to be long-term. Revivals, not revolutions, revivals tend to come and go. And after a period of three to six months, you'll have a few people talking about the revival that happened in your church or in your country. But over a period of time, it's gone. Revolutions don't function that way. There's some bad revolutions going on in the world today. I think you've heard of them. They're not going away. They will walk us all the way to the end times, the end hour. Revolutions do not go away. They are long term. Revivals are short term. You can have that over after you have your breakfast tomorrow morning. But a revolution is submitting therefore to God, resisting the devil, so the devil will flee from you, so you can walk where he was, the spot he was guarding. Do you understand? There's something that the enemy is guarding. He doesn't want you to walk what, where he's at. There's some blessing, there's some preaching, there's some teaching, there's some ministry, something. He doesn't want you to step where he is. Because that's where the ministry is. So he just stands in front of you. He can't really touch you and mess with you until he has permission from God, if you remember the story of Job. But he can stand there. Well, if you're submitting to God, resisting the devil, he's going to get out of your pathway, and it is your pathway that has been given to you by Christ, and you walk ye in it. And take the ground that he is standing to stop you from taking. We were made and fully equipped at the time of our conversion. As we are learning with our turkeys and eagle story to soar. Mount up like wings of eagles. We are a new cre uh, creation, creature Design to soar. Not to pick at the basics of life. Not to set our mind on earthly things. We must embrace the net of God's grace. I mean, that whole fish example, that, that was just God's grace, was it not? Peter, just throw, just throw your net on the other side. I can about see the Holy Spirit down there moving all the fish over here. And then all the fish over here. Oh, he's throwing his line over there. All the fish over here. And Jesus comes on and just says, just throw your net on the other side. Well, we've been fishing all morning. 
There's no fish on that side of the boat. Just throw your net. And so they threw the net. And the boat just about capsized because there was so much grace in that net. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil. And he'll get out of the way. So you can have a net full of grace. Fish. To feed everyone. Our desire to do the will of God is a gift. It's not a requirement. It is a gift. As soon as I have to require one of my grandchildren to open their gift, the gift becomes fruitless. Take the gift and torch it. Give it to the poor or something. But if you have to tell your children or grandchildren, please open the gift. Will you just open the gift? Open it. What's the point? The lie of keep the law, it's good for you. Of course, we all know that cleanliness is next to godliness. Don't forget that. But that's the kind of stuff we grow up with. If you just do the right thing, it'll all fall in line sooner or later. I could tell you stories of what happened to Ward Cleaver and Beaver's mom, and it doesn't work. The law bunches you up and puts you under a thing called the fruit of death, and the new covenant sets you free. The law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Completely different way of living. The truth, every true believer does want to do the will of the Father. It's like, I do want to open the gift. Of course I do. Of course I want to have a fish fry now, Jesus. God ordered the fish to stay in one spot. Think of the sovereignty just in that one story. Those fish are literally moving to God's commands. All of creation listens to him. It's us humanoids that decide not to. Fish obey him. Dogs obey him. Lions obey him. Sheep obey him. The trees obey him. The rocks will even cry out and say, praise the Lord if you won't. Everything a part of God's creation will obey God except for you. And that's why we go to hell. We're the only part of creation that says, I'm going to do it my own way. And God lays the provision out there. He fills the nets full of grace often throughout history. And we just simply say, well, that was fun. That was a fun miracle. Let's see if we can make some money off this miracle guy. That's what we do. Or start a television show on him. You know how many television offers Jesus would have today if he came back? Physically came back? Huge contracts. Limo time. You know, gold-plated chairs. That's what we would do to him. And he would say, no, I'd rather just be like one of those beggars out there on the street and just kind of hang with them and tell them the truth one person at a time. What does covenant mean? Hebrew, it's a treaty, an alliance of friendship, a pledge, 
an obligation between a monarch and his subjects. It is a constitution. That's Hebrew. So the Constitution of the United States is what we hear being thought about. Literally the news today, you're going you're to read something in the headlines that is rather significant about our Constitution. And if you've not heard this more recently, but there's been a new Constitution written. It's been around for a little while. It was written during Jimmy Carter's era. And it's been fought over in Washington. You've heard some of the new judges fighting over this new constitution. Why most Americans are just going through their day every day thinking that the old constitution is intact and fully being cared for by every American that is on, in this land. That is not true. The only way to completely change a country is to give it a new constitution. I'm telling you guys, this is how it works. And it's happening under your nose. That's Hebrew. They're literally doing it the right way. In order to turn America into a European global enterprise, the only way to do that is to give it a new constitution, a new covenant, a new agreement. And that is what's being fought over. Same thing for God with us in Christ Jesus. The only way this is going to work, the only way God is going to be able to take these rebellious people who think they're God and to turn them away from an old constitution is to give them a new constitution, a new agreement, something new to sign. But then he comes along and he says, not only am I not going to require you to sign it, because you're just going to have to accept it by faith. By the way, Walt, you're not going to be a signer to the new Constitution of the United States. But your birth will grant you a signatory right. That's how the new covenant works. See, we didn't sign this thing. Jesus signed it with his blood. And because we're born again, our born again rights grant us the privilege to signatory rights of the new covenant. So what you're here going to be hearing about the news over the next couple of years is not going to be new to the Hebrew people. It's a very old way of doing this. Old Testament covenant covenant is a contract which was accompanied by signs, sacrifices, and a, and a solemn blessing for the obedience and curses for disobedience. Conditional dispensation is what the theologians call it. What was the payment as Shannon read out of the book of Hebrews is blood. What is the payment for the new covenant? It is blood. Old Testament requirement is blood, New Testament, covenant is blood. We think that this issue of blood sacrifice is a historical thing that we preach on from the Bible. When we get to those final hours, you're going to be seeing blood shed 
in such a capacity that history has never, ever seen before. Someone please tell me how deep the blood will be in that valley. Horses bridles. That is seven feet. Stand up. This is how deep the blood's going to be. Actually, it's going to be three inches above me. Okay, someone tell me how wide the valley. This, and Jesus specifically says the blood, the river of blood, will be seven feet high. Someone tell me how wide the river is going to be. 21 miles. Someone tell me how long the river is going to be before it flows into the Mediterranean. 321 miles. Now either he's exaggerating to try to scare us, or there's something very significant being said about this final blood sacrifice will be from humans. You all want to act like a god? You all want to form your own covenant? Then you have to sign it with your own blood. That's what the Battle of Armageddon is all about. If that's what you guys want, then you have to sign the covenant. What enemies? People say the, it'll be the Muslims against the Christians and the Jews. What, you can pick whatever group you want to throw into that valley, but I'm here to tell you, it will be the entire world fighting for their rights. And Jesus is going to come drawn with a fiery sword, mounted on a horse in full colors, and he will not be coming peace, peace on earth. This won't be a time for Christmas of us cuddling this little baby. This is going to be a full-on warrior, a king of kings, a lord of lords, who says, this is it. All of you who have offended my bride will be dealt with today. Every offense that's put on you today is remembered in heaven. Please do not forget that every thought, every deed is recorded in the book of life and that is going to be paid for by somebody someday. Battle of Armageddon is for the strict purpose of giving back to mankind what they want. Blood sacrifice. It's a horrible thing. There are religions in the world today demonstrating how it's going to happen, and we're closing our eyes to it. Yes, I decided not to show you the video that was sent to me by one of our workers of having one of our workers have his head cut off with a pocket knife. It was horrible. I couldn't even get through the whole video. This is just this is just ticklings. This is just birth pangs of this great battle of Armageddon that is coming. Oh guys, please do not take lightly God's covenant. And if you're not under the new covenant through the signed blood of Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. Those people in that hour will pay. They will pay by their own blood. And to have that much blood in that valley tells me there's a bunch of rebels, revolters against Christ.
pray for them. Pray for your children's children's children. Because that's who's going to be in that valley. Greek. A solemn uh, disposition, condition of standing, institution or appointment of God to man for the disposition of faith and free justification. Free justification sounds complicated. It's not. It is simply Jesus' sin wipes away your transgressions and it's as if you never sinned to start with. That is justification by faith. Sanctification by faith is appropriating that truth. New Testament covenant, God providing his son in the execution of his plan and disposition, not, but not as a result of the obedience to any rule payment. It is simply all, all of our sins were put upon him once they all got put upon him, he became sin. He absorbed it, which means he embraced it. It literally became in him, him. He became sin on our behalf. That's what friendship is. Friendship is you completely absorb the identity of another. And that's why we're not called to be friends quickly with people who are not of like-minded identity. If you become friends with someone who's not of Christ, you're called unequally out. And that friendship will sooner or later embed and become a part of you. So when God comes along through Paul and says, do not be with, do not make, uh, be friends with or associate with so-called Christians who practice these eight things. That's why he's saying that. It will come on you and then become a part of you. So how do we get the values all twisted up in our Christian society? Is who we become friends with. So what is the big deal about the new covenant? If the covenant requires payment, then knowing Christ made the final payment, this gives us the freedom to live without paying for our own sins. Or me being upset at Jane and having her pay for the sin. See, whenever you're disappointed in someone, it's dis-appointment, which means you're saying, I'm saying to you, Walt, if I'm disappointed in you, you missed my appointment. You are a failure. That's what disappointment is. So when we are setting people up to pay for their own sins, what I'm going to do now is punish Walt by whatever means my flesh is good at. I could use sarcasm. I could ignore him. I could insult him. I could do whatever. That's you pay for your own sins, buddy. Judge not, rather least should be judged in like fashion. I'd like to see us bear the price tag of our own sins. God forbid. I think that's why... I'm a part of the new covenant. I'm justified by faith. So I need to handle Walt as if, and I know he is because he's an endo Christian, Christian, justified by faith. So my sanctification by faith needs to be, I need to walk with him, talk with him in the freedom of justification. 
That's what's being asked of us. <coughs> this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. So when we do uh, communion here coming up, not today, but coming up in a, a couple weeks, when we do communion, there's a particular church out there that believes you're actually drinking the blood of Jesus. It will be grape juice. Okay? It might even be cranberry juice. I don't know yet. I haven't been to the store. But it is the symbol of the blood of Jesus. But as I drink this cup, I take it literal in the sense of the new covenant. It's a very, very special moment to do in remembrance of Jesus. It was this cup that he did not want to fill. Do you understand that? The cup is symbolic of that valley. The, the edges of that valley. The depth of that valley. And he's saying, I, he, I don't want to fill this cup with my blood. I don't want to fill this valley with my blood. But he said, thy will be done. And he went and had his blood poured into that cup. For who, by the way? Who? Yes. That cup is every time we have communion as this is the valley. Right here. Drink from it. It is my blood. The valley is earth. And I paid the price. I filled that cup with this sacrifice. Drink from it. And do it in remembrance of me. I am the new covenant. It is my new covenant you're drinking. And the bread is the symbol of what I had to go through to get the blood in the valley. The battle of Armageddon is literally replicating what happened on Jesus' crucifixion, but by the blood of men. Think that went through. It's horrible. What is coming to the world? It's horrible. Just because some arrogant people are walking the face of the earth saying, I will not drink from that cup. My will be done. Because that's what we're saying when we hold grudges and we are persecuting people and we're tormenting people. We're saying, my will be done. And I'd like to see you handle one ounce of your own blood of sacrifice. That's why you go to hell. If you are one of those that says, I will not drink from that cup. You see, Jesus was being asked to fill the cup. We're being asked to drink it. Do you understand the difference? Jesus wanted to let the cup pass because he didn't want to fill it and drink from it. But the very blood that was going in that cup was from him. And he knew the brokenness, the bread of life, him, he would have to go through that brokenness. To have the new covenant. That is the point of our series. On brokenness. It is the communion cup. You can't have the blood without the brokenness. You can't have the new covenant without the brokenness. 
That was out of Luke 22:20. 20. The new covenant is about releasing, not fixing. So whenever you feel like someone is holding judgment against you, they're trying to fix you. And if they're lazy and irresponsible, they want you to fix yourself. They don't even want to take the time of fixing you. Both of them the same sin. When in the truth being said, it's already been fixed. And if it's an appointed distress for you, you need to get your arms around and hang on to it. Beneath all our sin, all the dysfunction of our past, all of our insecurities, all of our rebellion. Rebellion comes from, if you remember the term I use, rebellion. Rebellion is re-bell-ion. It's detachment from the belly. It's refusing intimacy. It's what happens when a baby is cut from the mother. It's detached from the belly. That's when the baby becomes rebellion. Rebellious. Full of sin. Very, very simple thing God gave us to understand when sin uh, affects a child. A life. So, all insecurities, all rebellion, there resides a radical new nature implanted and sustained by God alone. And that nature obviously is our new nature in Christ Jesus. The new covenant is the promise of our new nature and the revelatory life of Christ within us. Galatians 2.20 By the way, anytime you want copies of these slides... Remember, they're online. Heartlandfellowships.org or .com, .net. I tried to buy them all, so. Why do you believe it is so hard to let go of selfish ambition? Because it's harder than most of us think to fully let go of a law-based approach to spirituality. Barking out rules is a lot easier than barking out grace. Because grace says, oh, I'm letting them get away with their sin. Well, who cares? Do you know if I let you get away with your sin, I've accomplished nothing for the worst or the better? God's the one that decides if you're going to get away with your sins or not. And the last I've read is he's not going to let you get away with sins. It's not about me letting you get away with sins. That's God's job. Does that mean we never confront people about their sins? Of course not. You, that the confrontation is putting it before them. What is done with it is between them and God. Our flesh, the trash left behind by the old nature, it's the best way I can describe it to you, our flesh naturally gravitates toward a legalistic approach to holiness that encourages reliance on self. That's 99.9% .9 of all counseling facilities in the entire world trying to increase your choice system to make better choices for healthier things. Instead of saying to the person in the counseling, Walt, you're sinning. I mean, just saying that stops the entire world for that person. Walt, you're sinning. Well, the next question should be from Walt is, how? Explain it to me. I open the word, and I show him 
the standards of God, not the standards of Steve Finney. And he looks at that and goes, well, well what do I do? Repent, not repeat, repent. Well, what does that really mean, Steve? I show him the difference between godly sorrow and flesh sorrow. If you're repeating a sin, that means you're caught, you're snagged by flesh sorrow, which is, oh shucks, I got caught. You'll do it again tomorrow. But when you really repent, a sorrow of godliness, you won't go back to that sin. If you do, it just wipes you out. When we try to help God, it enables us to uh, partially share credit with God for any spiritual success. And I think that's a big no-no. True spirituality requires an absolute uh, clean break from the old way of doing things, replacing it with a radically new approach to God-honoring living, God-honoring lifestyle. And then Jesus, Jesus did not come to patch up the old covenant. He came to replace it with a brand new covenant. We are at a point in our country. Check the headlines out today. Should be today. That America's come to realize we can't amend the old constitution anymore. It's done. We put too many patches on this thing. And it's leaking and it's not able to care for this country anymore. We need a new constitution. And that is why we are on very thin ground spiritually in America. Our country is literally going to demonstrate this beautiful message. Not in a good way, unless all of America repents. And we should pray for that. But the odds are we will probably join forces with the rest of the world to survive. And it will be under a new constitution. The old one can't hold water anymore. We can't put wine in those skins anymore. This new world thing that's happening out there won't fit into the Americans' constitution wineskins. It just won't. I'm not lying to you. I'm not trying to scare you. I've been tracking this thing since the Carter days. It is a huge problem. And when you hear that stuff argued about on television, they're not just coming up with hypothetical case scenarios. So, yes, you should pray for your country, but seriously, I think you should pray for the body of Christ. That we finally wake up and go, what is going on here, oh groom of ours, oh husband, oh Jesus Christ? How are we to minister under these conditions? In true spirituality, obedience to God's standards is the byproduct because it is Christ who actually is the one who is obedient to the Father through us. I can't even be obedient to God the Father. Jesus has to be obedient through me. He has to fulfill the law through me because I have no ability to do it on my own. Obedience demands fulfillment of the law. And the law has a negative effect on our flesh. In fact, the letter of the law does what again? 
kills and destroys. Well, I thought we couldn't call the law sin. Do you understand that that actually answers the number one question that emergent Christians ask is why would a loving God send a perfectly innocent human to hell? They do not understand the law. You see, the law, God put his standards out there very early on for us humanoids. Very early on, he told us what his standards were. All the sundry laws, all of the, the Ten Commandments or the highlights, and he put it all out there and he said, this is just to show you, you can't do this, you can't live like this, and the days you feel like a failure, I'm going to be going, yes, yes, you are a failure, you're nothing. Galatians 6.3, he who thinks he's something when he's nothing deceives himself. You can't do it, Steve. That's why I put Christ in you to do it through you. You just be the vessel, the willing, embraced vessel for Christ to live his life out through you. Yes, am I hung up on the exchange life? You better believe I am. Because any other preaching is producing self-advanced Christians who follow Christ, not Christ doing the walking through them. The new covenant is critical. This is why Christ had to come to fulfill the law for us. We just talked about that. Your life is no longer to be lived under the code and conduct, but through a person, the supreme lover of our souls. God's foremost calling in your life and mine is a passionate and deepening love affair with his son. God's love raining down on you is what releases you to rest. Someone please open their Bible to James chapter 4 and read for me or us verse, verse I don't know what it is until I get there. I don't know why the Lord's never healed my mind to remember things. Okay, so James chapter 4 and we are going to read or someone should read out of... Um, Verse 4, and we're going to go down through verse 6. 4 through 6, who would like to read that? Okay. Okay, this is obviously a strong reinforcement to our series, but remember what I said about the friendship thing? Hebrew and Greek means to become one. So when you are a friend with something or someone, you are becoming one with it. This is God saying, he who is friends with the world is what? An enemy of God. And you just go out there and take a look at the labeled Christians, as my buddy, my, my buddy who's an author-writer says, uh, the perceived 
or self-proclaimed Christians that are out there today and they will say the way you win in evangelism is through friendship. And wrong answer. That is the way to become an enemy of the living God. See, I don't need to become friends with someone to be nice to them. I don't need to become friends with someone to win them. I want them to be friends with Jesus Christ because when friendship occurs, we're swapping identities. Jesus takes my identity and I take his. That's what friendship is in the Greek. Jesus takes my identity and I take his. Now we're friends. Now I'm not hostile toward God anymore. Not only that, can someone please, by memory if you can, what's the next verse say about God's jealous? What's this jealous thing? For he jealously desires, or depends on your translation, craves a relationship with the Holy Spirit, which is the life of Christ that's in you. And what do we do in all of our self-help Christianity books is we say it's all about me. Jesus loving me. It's me. Me. God put me on the earth for freaking love me. No, God jealously craves a relationship with the Holy Spirit living inside Steve Finney. This garbage that's being addressed in James 4 stops it. But does he love me as his son's bride? Absolutely. Do not get me wrong. But it is not about me. God wants a loving relationship to go on between him and the Holy Spirit in me and I get to be a part of their intimacy which makes it mine. Please follow me with that. There's so much selfish Christianity out there about it being me, 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 me. God loving me. God loves the world. God loves whatever. And people are going to hell every day because they're not understanding. You have to address the full Old Testament and embrace the full New Testament. Churches today are not preaching the Old Covenant and what it does to you and where it will send you. They're just talking about New Covenant stuff. I think there's a reason why there's an Old and New Testament. You'll never find this boy walking around with one of those New Testament Bibles. I'm, I, this is I speaking, not the Lord. I will not carry around just a New Testament. You must understand the Old, revolt against it, to have the new. And you can't even do the revolt until you submit therefore to God. And then you turn around and stand against. And then the enemy leaves. And you just walk. You just live. Accordingly. Faith is obviously a, an area that most of our books, tapes, CDs, movies, and whatever is all about. You see it in the cute movies. Everything's faith, 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 faith. I understand that. They say that is what sent the emergent church emerging. Is faith. Faith, 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 faith. Faith based. Whatever happened to Jesus Christ based. I know I'm guilty. 
as a part of the faith-based movement from its very roots before God said, get out. This isn't about faith. It's about facts. It's about the truth. So it is fact, faith, then your feelings. So nowadays, if you hurt someone's feelings with what you say to them, Walt, I'm just telling you that's a sin. You need to get on your face before God and weep. I mean, nowadays that's beyond hellfire and damnation preaching. That is just flat out insulting. In fact, I'm going to get a piece of paper in the mail because Walt's going to run down to the courthouse and, and file a lawsuit against me for defamation of character. That's America. I'm not joking. We sue people for insulting us. When Christ is sin, when they slap you on the right cheek, turn to them the left, that they are wanting to take your shoes, give them your coat too. And they, by the way, if they force you to go a mile, Walt, with your hand twisted behind your back, go two miles with them. That's our Jesus Christ approach to lawsuits. It's not what we do anymore. Because it's all about feelings. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. Well, people don't like me overall. I know that we got a pretty decent, you know, group that enjoys listening, but overall people don't like me because I just say it. If the scriptures say it, I, I, I have faith enough to believe it. And yes, I oftentimes hurt people's feelings. And yes, sometimes it can be flesh. In other words, I was not careful with the word. So I can never use it as an excuse. But I want to live like this. I want facts. Give me the facts, God. And if it says it in such a way that even twists, twists me a bit, okay. But I've got I to gotta preach it, don't I? I don't want to go to my grave with one ounce of emergent in my blood. I want to go to my grave hardcore, knowing what the truth is, knowing what people need to hear, whether they like it or not, or get their feelings hurt. And I know it's a part of my spiritual gifting, and those of you who have more of the mercy and those kind of gifts are cringing right now when I'm preaching like this. But we need prophets. You know what I'm saying? We need people to say it the way it needs to be said. And if you have the gift of mercy, after we're done with the service today, Please go and get some nursing. Fact, faith, and then feeling. And then finally, don't worry. Rest assured, when you are discouraged by doubts and failures, remember that your growth is a process. God has plans for you, and he won't give up on you, so don't give up on him. God promises this. And notice that I did not say, so don't give up on yourself. That was actually a phrase that I found in doing research for our sermon, was don't give up on yourself then. No, I'm encouraging you to give up on yourself. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Christ. But we've been blessed with this formula that Christ in me, through the Holy Spirit, does the walking for me. I just got to relax a little bit so it looks like normal walking. 
It's just relax, just rest. Assured. The Holy Spirit knows how to walk. And He will walk. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events. And we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Get yourself in a bind, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare.